If I don't get things right in this life, I'll just get it right in the next life. I'll probably have to go to purgatory to get some things taken care of before I get into heaven. I'm really not so bad that God will not allow me into heaven. God is love. Jesus is love. Dear listener, is this what the Bible teaches, or is this something that men have made? Good morning, and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre and Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded. And you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Gab, YouTube, and Rumble at God's Resistance, and that is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content, and you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com, or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We're going to be talking about judgment today. We so often hear people say, don't judge, don't judge. But there is a judgment that is coming, and you and I need to know about it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. The world's interpretation would be a little different. So here we've got God's perspective, but the world's interpretation would sound something like this. But now, universally in our unending world, has Christ appeared as an option to make us feel better about ourselves by the comforting words he said, as all of us will die one day, judgment is always for my comfort. Let me say that one more time. The world's interpretation of judgment would read something like this. But now, universally in our unending world, has Christ appeared as an option to make us feel better about ourselves by the comforting words he said, as all of us will die one day, judgment is always for our comfort. Now, you may listen to that and think, oh, that sounds insane. And it is, it does sound insane. But ultimately, that is what the world thinks about when they think about leaving this life and going to the next life or judgment to come. They think, it's not going to be to my hurt because I'm really not that bad of a person. God says, however, very simply and very clearly in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So every one of us is going to face judgment. That is a, a, a truth that you and I need to understand and get implanted in our minds. <clears throat> it says one word in the beginning of this in, in Hebrews 9.27, appointed. Let's think of that word for a minute. Think of the word appointment. No doubt 
You have made many appointments. I've made many appointments. Many people make appointments. That's how we live every single day. With an appointment, there is a time and a place. Think about if you were going to go to the doctor's and they basically were just like, yep, uh, we want you to come into the doctor's and uh, we'll see you when you come. You would think to yourself, well, when am I supposed to come? What time am I supposed to come? What day am I supposed to come? We always say, I'd like to know the time and the place. And they give us the little appointment cards. And it's like that for business engagement. Let's talk about a time and a place. It's like that for events that we would go to, whether they be public events or family events. Where's, what time is it and where, what place? That's what I want to know. And time includes day and the time of the day. We want to know these specifics. I want to know the time and the place. And usually, because of appointments, we prepare for them. I don't want to go to the dentist having not brushed my teeth, have my breakfast all over my teeth, look like a sloppy mess when I get there, stink of body odor, and haven't made myself look presentable for the day. I don't want to do that. If I've got some work or some things that need to be done around the house, I plan accordingly. If I know the time and place I've got to be at the dentist, I am going to get things in order around my house or whatever I need to do so that I can leave, be there, and ready for the time and the place of my dentist appointment. We can think about that so easily when it comes to normal everyday life, things that we probably don't really put too much thought into generally. And yet, when it comes to eternal things, Sometimes we twist it around. We don't think with the same mind anymore, that same logic. But God, he's made many appointments. Not just one, but many appointments. God appointed some good things. He appointed creation. He spoke and creation came into existence. He said, let there be light and there came light. Let there be oceans, let there be land, let there be animals, let there be birds, let there be fish. He spoke and creation happened. He appointed a time and a place where things that were not suddenly came into existence. So that was good, and he said it was very good at the end. But he's also appointed some things that perhaps are not so great. Uh, as far as the intensity of it, the severity of it, it's not, it's not a cheerful thing, although it was an appointment of God. We think about the flood. It said the whole world was filled with wickedness. God looked over the whole world, and it was the, people's hearts were filled with wickedness, and that's all they wanted to do was wickedness. So he sent a flood of judgment, and the only one that was spared from the flood of judgment was Noah. Noah believed God, built an ark even for 120 years or something to that effect, It's taking him to build this ark, he and his family, while being mocked and ridiculed as they were obeying God and still probably themselves not fully understanding what's happening. Here they are, they're trying to obey God, and they do, they get into the ark, and the entire world perishes, except for those that um, Noah put on the ark, animals and people alike. So he appointed a time of judgment for the flood. He appointed a time when people of the, of the world tried to build a tower that said, this tower we want to build will reach up unto heaven. So they start building, as, as is known from the Bible, the Tower of Babel, or Babel, however you want to pronounce that. So they start building this tower, and God says, what in the world are they doing? Now, he already knows what they're doing, but this is for yours and my benefit as we read into the heart and mind of God in the scriptures. What are they doing? 
Well, they tried to make a name for themselves. We're sick of being spread out all over the place. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to get up to the heights of God. And so they're going to build a tower somehow to reach there. Well, God saw that this wasn't going to go so well. So he confused them all by changing languages so they can't even talk with one another anymore. And they dispersed instead of doing this wicked thing and trying to build themselves up as God. God appointed a time and a place to ruin these plans of men that would ultimately be for their utter destruction and the destruction of the world all over again. And this was really, I can't remember now off the top of my head, I want to say it was like um, something about around 100 years after the flood, and it's already happening again, this wickedness. God appointed also the shortening of lifespan. Before we read inside of the scriptures in, in Genesis, in perfect conditions in a paradise of, of, of God, and now I know Adam and Eve were kicked out of paradise, but still, things were so good before the fall, or well, certainly before the fall, but even before the flood. And with this catastrophic event of the flood, it kind of wrecked all of what you and I now enjoy as the earth, and things got worse and worse, decay and death and whatever. Lifespan was shortened from, say, 900 years or better, down to, at one point, he said, to 120 years. And God basically said, you don't need more years to sin your years away and continue to multiply wickedness upon wickedness. He said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now we're going to shorten it to 120. And after that, he shortened average lifespan down to about 80. Now I know that that's average. People live above 80. People can live above 100 years old. But God appointed a time, a place where these things happened. God appointed a time of captivity for the people of Israel. They were doing wickedly. They were sinning against God. They adopted the idolatrous practices and worship of the Canaanites and of the people around them. They were doing things like sacrificing their babies into a molten burning statue, and they're saying they're sacrificing their children unto gods. They're doing such sexually deviant practices, bestiality, and all sorts of other things, and the children of Israel are taking all this unto themselves. They were a pure, they were a holy people, and now they're being defiled. And God gave them ample warning again and again, but they didn't listen. Prophets rose up and said, hey, you've got to repent, and they didn't listen. So God allowed an empire, the Babylonian empire, to come in to wipe out the children of, well, not to wipe out completely the children of Israel, but to wipe out the, the Jerusalem, to wipe out the temple, to wipe out all things and disperse God's people, and many people were killed, but disperse God's people throughout all the corners of the earth, and then they start to be inside of oppressive lands. Sounds kind of almost like where America is at in some respect. But he appointed a time and a place where his people were going to be held captive inside of oppressive areas because they were not obeying God. Then we find that he appointed a time and a place for nations, where nations would be exalted. We read about where one time God appointed that Egypt would be exalted uh, under Pharaoh, that all the world would know the power and might of God as he dealt with Pharaoh and his army and swept them up in, uh, on the dry ground that was in the Red Sea and allowed the waters on both sides to come and sweep them up. And there's still evidence today, a chariot wheels and, and certain other weapons and whatnot that, that you can find online. You can look it up. But they, he exalted Egypt for a purpose. Then he exalted the Medes and Persians as they overtook the Babylonian empire that was used like a chastening rod to the disobedient Israelites 
Then he allowed the Medes and the Persians to come up, and they were the judgment rod against Babylon now. So God used Babylon for a specific purpose, and then he said, no more, and he rose up the Medes and the Persians to come and take care of the Babylonians, and now they weren't able to do that towards the children. The Babylonians were not allowed to torment the children of Israel anymore. But he also abased, as I was saying, he exalted Egypt and he abased it. He knows how to abase his rods of discipline, though they may appear to us to be wicked rods. God doesn't ignore their wickedness. He'll deal with that also. So he appointed a time and a place for all of this. Well, the question comes up, how can God appoint these things in such a manner? Sometimes you hear things like this, and I've heard people talk like this. What kind of a God is that? that's appointing death and whatever to all these people. That's an awful God, and I don't want to serve him. Well, when you realize that God is true, righteous, and holy, and that he's against wickedness, then there are certain other factors that play in there. But also, God is perfect in so many ways, in every way, but in in some ways that I'd like to bring up to you. One way is that God is all-knowing. The word that, that is often used to say this is omniscient. God knows everything. If we can think of the world like a chessboard, there's different nations, there's different peoples, and God is not overriding people's will, but he looks down upon this world and he can see what is going on, and he can influence people and nations to try and move things in a certain direction, working with the choice of people, of choice of mankind. So the world is the chessboard, and people are the chess pieces. Think about that for a moment. And it's not even just one generation. God knows from the beginning all the way to the end, all the people that will ever be born into this world exist, what their choices are going to be and what they're going to do, where they're going to live. He knows all of that. And you would say, well, then why bother? What's the point of all this? God, just because of knowing that, does not make him responsible for what people do. He just can't help but know because he's God and he knows all things. And with that knowledge, God does try to work in the midst of people. He does not want to override their will because then it wouldn't be true um, choices. There wouldn't be responsibilities for choices people have made if he just did everything for people. And we don't want that kind of a thing. I would not like to have somebody that was forced to marry me. I want somebody to marry me because they love me and out of their own choice they want to be with me. It's the same with God in a relationship with him. So God is all-knowing. The world's a chessboard. The people are chess pieces. And generations of people are interwoven. And really, and we look in the biblical perspective, they're interwoven all to bring things to a head. When Christ would come onto the earth, God's anointed, God's lamb to take away the sin of the world in the fullness of time, he had to move all of creation around and set things up in such a perfect manner. And because he's dealing with people's will, It takes a certain amount of time for certain things to be set up because he can't just ride over top of them. He can persuade and influence, but they ultimately make their own choice. He interwove generations so that Christ would come at the perfect time in the fullness of time. And think about it. He's done that in yours and my life. If it weren't for the fact of certain things that had happened with our parents and how God had moved families and circumstances to bring two people together, you and I wouldn't even be here. And so there's a fullness of time for everything, and God has that foreknowledge, meaning he knows before. So how can God appoint things in such a manner? He can do it because God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. So we were dealing with the question, how can God appoint certain times? What gives him the right to do this stuff? Well, the first thing we said is because he's all-knowing. 
But secondly, he's sovereign, meaning that he rules over all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, the only wise God, our Savior, immortal, invisible. This is the God of gods. If there's anyone higher than him, then, there, then that being would be God. But the God I'm talking about is the God of all. He is sovereign, and his rule spans throughout successive generations. So he doesn't rule for one time period and then pass it off to somebody else. Because he's eternal, he rules throughout successive generations. And because he rules throughout successive generations, and he knows all things, he has the right and the ability, the ability he has to make these appointed times and places for things to happen. He can do it. He's qualified because God is infinite in all of his attributes. And attributes are like characteristics of a person. Who is this person? Well, he's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's merciful. And many more, all-powerful, all-knowing, all these things that, that you and I perhaps can't even grasp, eternal. We're trying to pull all this together, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The thing is, he's perfect in every attribute, and they all balance one another out, so he will not make a mistake. He is qualified because he's God and because he's infinite and because he's perfect in every regard. So if all the previous of what I have just said is true, then why is it difficult for us to realize that one is appointed, that the, the key of somebody being appointed one death? One death. And that's where we're going after this. He said, it's appointed unto man once to die. So this appointment is for mankind. When the Bible says man, it's not just saying men and not women, but mankind. It's appointed unto mankind once to die. So 10 out of 10, it's perfect odds. We're all going to die. Nobody's going to escape that. Some people think, well, there'll be reincarnation. And I'll start off as a human being. If I don't get it this right, maybe I'll come back as a rat and I can learn my lesson. Or I'll come back as a bug and I'll learn my lesson. Or a cow or whatever. I don't know how that makes anybody feel. I mean, that, that seems crazy, uh, first of all. And how does that make you feel better about the life that you live right now and moral choices and the evils that are around you and the evil that's in your own heart? How does that, how does that fix anything? How does that make anything better? It's appointed unto man once to die. People will make up all sorts of crazy teachings so that they do not have to be responsible for their own actions. But there, according to the Bible, is one death. There is the reincarnation is not going to happen. Death is told us the last enemy. It's not something that you and I look forward to. It's not a purifier. It does nothing except end our life here. And when we die, that's final. Our choices are forever sealed. Where a tree leans, there it falls. So if the tenor of your life is going in a certain direction, you're not going to all of a sudden turn righteous at your death as if, you're, as if death is your savior. Death is your enemy. Jesus is the savior. And some people think that, oh, when I die, God will just take care of it and pull me up into heaven. But if, my, if the tenor of my life is going towards wickedness, where am I going to land? Where a tree leans, there it falls. So we need to be honest. We've got choices and they'll be forever sealed. We need to be honest about things and realize where we are. I remember thinking when I was younger, people would say something like, you know, maybe I was around a group of friends. They say something like, what are you going to do when you stand before God? Maybe somebody talked to us when we were like walking in a group down the road. Some of my friends, they would, they would mock and say whatever. And I thought, I really don't have any answer. 
Because I know when I get before God, this supreme being, what am I going to do? Trick him? Am I going to tell him I'm a good old boy and he should listen to me or help me or what? No, none of that's going to happen. There's going to be just terrible finality. And so we need to be honest with ourselves now, brutally honest. The thing is, once we die and there's that one death, it's endless from there on out. It's eternity. There's endless good and there's endless bad. And we think about the endless good. It's bliss. It's safety. It's heaven. Those are the things we've been told. Oh, when you die, you go to heaven. But that's just not how it is. God just doesn't give you a a free pass to heaven just because you died. Where the tree leans, there it falls. So there's endless good, bliss, and safety. Enjoyment of the presence of God and his Savior. And if you didn't enjoy him here, why are you going to enjoy him then? But then there's also endless bad. Weeping. Gnashing of teeth. Regret. There's going to be endless regret. You're going to be saying to your friends, why? Why didn't you tell me? You, you knew this truth and you didn't push this on me? You didn't tell me what danger I was in? Or maybe some buddies that got together and drank at the bars and they talked about religion and they're, they're at each other's throats. Why didn't you encourage me to stop drinking and stop my life of sin and turn to God? And so they're all endless regrets one toward another. They're remembering all these conversations they had on earth, all these opportunities that they had where they turned their back on God. And the thing is, it'll be like that over and over again. There's no reprieve. There's not going to be the smile and laughing of children or babies. There's not going to be jokes that we tell that somewhat ease our pain. There's not going to be medications that can dull the anxiety of being in an eternity of hell forever and ever. It is final. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And we often ignore his appointment of death because we don't want to take responsibility for our life. So once we die, it's final. That's it. Not only is there one death, but then there's one judgment. Some believe, uh, the Catholic belief, and I don't know if all Catholics believe this, but I know uh, Roman Catholicism would have this on, on their doctrinal beliefs or statements, but that there's a purgatory. It's kind of like, well, if I messed up here and there's still a little bit too much wickedness or sin inside of my life, in order for me to get to heaven, I got to burn in like this pre-fire before I get to heaven that kind of just burns out all of this wickedness out of me so I can get into heaven. And maybe it's like a little bit of a punishment. So at that point, it's like, well, maybe I did this much sin. So maybe I just got to burn in purgatory for a million years. But there is hope because after a million years, I'll get out. That's not how it works. There's nothing in the Bible that speaks anything about purgatory. It is final. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So there is one judgment, and it's an eternal judgment. God the judge, when the verdict comes, and you're going to be standing there by yourself, all your friends aren't going to vouch for you. When he speaks the verdict, it's eternal, and it will always be that way. The Old Testament speaks of the day of the Lord, when Christ is going to return in his judgment. So there's an appointment of a day, that judgment day. One day. You and I don't know what it is. A lot of people conjecture it, but the scripture says no man knows what day. But on that day, there's going to be a great white throne. And on that great white throne, there is going to be Jesus Christ himself. He will be the judge. There will be the Trinity. It'll be Jesus, the the Son, the Father, the Holy Ghost. It'll be the presence of God in such a way in front of us. And he's going to then mete out the judgments. There will be throngs of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are going to be standing before this great white throne. And there we'll see Christ with flaming eyes of fire and purity. What are we going to say to him? We're going to trick him when we get there? We won't. 
It won't happen. There's not going to be mocking. It's going to be hide us from the face of him from whom we have to do. But there's going to be a judge. There's going to be a judgment day. And there's going to be a, a standard, one standard. God's no respecter of person. So there's going to be everybody on one level playing field. And the question that's going to come up is, what did you do with Christ? What did you do with the truth while you were here in this earth? What happened? What did you do with your conscience when it pricked you? What did you do when the Spirit of God was striving with you so that you would repent of your sins and believe on the name of His only begotten Son so that you could be saved? Saved in this life from sin and saved eternally from hell thereafter. There's one one standard, one level, and everyone will be on the same level playing field. But then there is two destinies after. According to the judgment of Christ, whatever he says, you're either going to go into heaven forever and ever and ever or hell forever and ever and ever. And you say, I don't believe in all that stuff. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen nonetheless, whether you believe it or not. He's going to open the books and all of our deeds that we've done in this body, whether they're good or bad, will be played out before us. He will ask us about it. What about this? You did this. Is this true? You did this. Is it true? And he'll read them out before us and before the throngs standing there at the judgment. You know, he's going to be righteous in his judgment. He is equal and fair and just because he's holy and because he loves. He does, he's not going to fail to do anything. He wants, doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. So nobody's going to land in hell that shouldn't be there. He is fair and just. We've got unfairness and injustice all over our governmental system here in America. People are angry on both sides of the spectrum, whether you would call yourself a liberal or a conservative. Both sides, we look at things and we think, this is not just. This is not right. It's not fair what is going on here. However, when we get there, there's going to be no appeal. You're not going to argue with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the judge of all the earth. He is, with equity, he will judge. With justice, he will judge. And with holiness, he will judge. Why is all this this way? Because there's one sacrifice. There's got to be one judgment because there's one sacrifice. There was no way you and I could be saved except for the substitute of Christ in our place. There is no penance. There's no Mary. There's no saints. There's no good works. There's no philosophies that are going to get us into heaven. It's insufficient, all the many sacrifices. But I want to read something to you. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life One still, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, 
Only what's done for Christ will last. And there's much more to be said there. But there's going to be one unified, restored, and redeemed heaven, one new heaven, and one new earth, and wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, dear listener, there's one day, one judgment. What are you going to do about that? You've heard the truth of the scriptures. There's one day, there's one judgment. It's appointed unto God. Every one of us is going there. Are you ready, dear listener, to face God on judgment day? If you're not, you can be saved. You can pray, repent, and ask forgiveness of your sins. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com and introduce yourself to me. I would love to set up a time with you. I'd love to be able to meet with you, whether it be by phone, Zoom, in a coffee shop, wherever is comfortable for you. I want to help you get right with God and walk with God. Then I want you to go look up our social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all the ones that I said. Like and follow us. You're going to get more teaching and preaching to help you on your journey and to connect with others that are going through their journey as well. Tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK. Uh, 1550 AM and 94.7 FM. Tell your friends about our social media accounts that they can also walk in that way. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.